everyone, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find author at authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the fabulous people over at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. To learn more about them and their writers' conference, which will be happening in September, virtually, of course, go over to pnwa.org. I'm going to be doing some virtual conferences. I'll be doing the um, Willamette Writers Conference. We'll be teaching a few classes there. That's coming up in just a week or so. I'll also be giving the keynote and giving some classes down at the Alaska, or up, or up excuse me, up at the Alaska Writers Conference. Again, virtually also. Plus, I may be a part of the PNWA. So, you know, if you go into conferences via Zoom or however, hopefully I'll see you, right? Why not? Well, today's guest, today's guest, uh, was a great conversation with Glenn Eric Hamilton. He was raised aboard a sailboat in Pacific Northwest, my current haunts. And he grew up in the marinas and commercial docks and islands of, of, uh, of Puget Sound in the Pacific Northwest. His debut novel, get this, his debut novel, Past Crimes, won the Anthony, McCavity, and Strand Critics Awards and was also nominated for the Edgar Barry and Nero Awards. Yes, it is. He's got a new novel out called Dangerous Breeds, or excuse me, A Dangerous Breed, A Dangerous Breed, and we had a nice chat about his process and his early life and how he came to writing. Here it is. All right, so here you are, uh, Glenn. You're, like all of us, you're stuck at home, (laughs) right? I assume you're you're in California now, yeah? Yes, yeah, Burbank. Yeah, yeah, and so... um, so, oh, Burbank. All right. Things are a little rough down there. They, it, it looked like things were going to straighten out, and then it didn't. Yeah, there's definitely parts of L.A. that are that are harder hit along the way. There's um, uh, and parts of California as well on the whole. Yeah, it's funny. In our in our neck of the woods, people are being very conscious and, and very careful along the way. But yeah. um, but we know that, you know, down on Sunset and stuff, things are have really flared up. And, yeah. uh, and a lot of the hospitals are pretty overwhelmed right now. Well, so you're down there in Burbank now, uh, but you, um, you, that's not where you started. You're like, well, you, you're Seattle uh, born. You know, yeah. And that's where I live now. And, um, and you really, you had, it sounds like in many ways, what is not the quintessential, but what people often imagine might be the quintessential Seattle life of being on a boat with your, like, <laughs> in where, was it Puget Sound somewhere floating around in Elliott Bay? Where were you? Yeah, we were, well, when the boat first arrived, we were in, in Seattle for a while. I think it was in, boy, it's going back because I was a kid. Yeah. Um, I think it was in Shilshul for a little while and then, okay. and then on the other side. And then most of the time when I was growing up and going to junior high and high school, we were in Lake Washington um, oh, okay. on, on the east side, in fact. So. so you lived on a boat in Lake Washington? Yes. God yes. almighty. Okay. Was it a big boat? There's no it such a, thing, really. If I'm the, like, it's a 41 foot sailboat, so and pretty beamy, so it wasn't gigantic. Uh, there were only three of us and whatever pets we happened to have. So, but still, uh, it's you and your mom and dad just like walking on each other's <laughs> feet. All, I mean, boats are. I mean, it's a small experience, but you must have spent a lot of time outside the boat. Like, yes. Walking. Yeah. Well, I, I will say one thing. 
if you're a high school student who's living aboard a boat, you get really good at extracurricular activities. <laughs> you, yeah, you find stuff to do. You know, you do a play, you run track, you know, you know, it, it, whatever you, you you get the heck out because you know being on top of each other constantly, especially with a teenager, yeah, it's it, it's not easy on everybody, and we're all strong-willed too. So you know, there's there's that. Um, but you also learn to like keep the peace, you know, and try yeah. to work, work through stuff. Yeah. What was your venting track? I was a track guy myself in high school. Oh, I was a I was a speed demon. I would not run any race that would took longer than like a minute. That's right. So yeah, I would do. Too. I would do like uh, you know four hundred, four by one, the hundred. Um, in summer, I would do the four hundred hurdles. That's what I yeah. oh yeah yeah. So okay. great, we had the same event then. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All yeah. Right. So, so you're paddling around. You're on this boat. You're trying to stay out of your parents' hair. It sounds like you guys got along okay. We did. Yeah, we did. You have to. Great or so they were they were great parents. That's too bad for a writer. Troublesome families are sometimes the best thing for writers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't bless you with some with some fracture. Well, the, the funny thing is, is the larger extended family had its problems. Oh, good. I was blessed, right. I was blessed to, have, to have good immediate family. So that oh, helped. that's nice. Yeah. Okay. But there was some reading involved. It sounds like you were, you know, looking for something to do. They had, they, it sounds like they had their own kind of little library on board a little bit that you would read. From yeah. There. Yeah. You know, there's, there's only so much space and there's only so many books. And when you've read, you know, yours... You know, I've read all the Ian Flemings that I got, and I read all the Conan the Barbarian adventures and whatever that I, that I had myself. I'd start rating theirs, and they would have, uh, they would have Trevanian, they would have um, uh, Agatha Christie, and most significantly, especially if you live on board a boat, they would have John D. McDonald's uh, Travis oh, series, yeah, which is a very clear line between that and what I write because yeah. it's very, it's very similar. So, all right. So you're so you're pretty voracious reader early on. It sounds like yes, I always love to read. And did you autumn? Were you already thinking about writing when you were a young man? No, not so much. I enjoyed writing, but no, I really didn't. I always had it sort of back in my head of like I'd like to try that someday, mm -hmm. but kind of in the like, kind of in the way that that was more like I, it wasn't a real drive to be published. It was a drive like like maybe I'll write a book. You know, maybe I'll write my own adventure story someday. Right. And just see how that goes. But right? that was not, that was not like, because like when I was 14, that was, I was already had my sights set. Like it's that. No, no, I didn't have that at all. Um, you know, I, I, I liked acting. That was sort of my first creative outlet. And I did, yeah. I did all through school and I got a degree in it and oh. did theater. That's how my wife and I met. So that's what, that was my main oh. gain out of acting was finding my wife. Um, did you go down to LA to pursue the acting or was I went down to LA so that my wife could pursue acting along oh. the way, but also not only because of that, but also because I had lived in Seattle my whole life and I wanted to try living somewhere else. Yeah. When did and you move some, there? And somewhat ironically moving to LA made me want to write about Seattle. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm reading this thing. It is so Seattle-ish. It's yeah. even something like right near where I live was happening. I was like, oh, this is so weird. Well, now we still there. visit a lot. So, you know, and okay. along the way. Um, so, but moving away from it and then coming back for visits and seeing how much it was changing. Because at the time, it was going through both the crash of, of 2008, 2009, but also the boom of Amazon and other things. Yeah. So, you know, it was this real push-pull of divide between the haves and the have-nots was really getting very exaggerated and still yeah. is. Yeah. And so, you know, that made me pretty fascinated that the city that I knew, which would ar had already gone through a lot of sea changes, yeah. was going through even more. Yeah. Um, and, and so consequently, you know, it's, it, it, 
that that as much as any anything else and moving to a different city sort of gave me the idea of I never wanted to act professionally. I just did it for fun. Huh. Okay. But, but you got a degree in it. But I got I, did, I got a degree in it. I also got a degree in in computer science, which is uh, where I made my money. Oh, I made, made my money. Sounds like I have a fortune. It was it gave me a living. Um, but uh, but I got a degree in theater just because I loved doing theater and I loved being around theaters and theater people. They're you know yeah. they're a great bunch. Um, and so, but when I moved to LA, everybody here is an actor. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. uh, being an actor here is nothing special, and theater is very different here. And not that there isn't a, a rich theater no. history. My my good friend is an award winning LA theater writer. He does television yeah. now, but he started yeah. out making his bones in theater, and it's a whole different scene because there's like a lot of it's experimental and, um, you know, Hollywood, not an experimental place. It's no nope. place where it's kind of the opposite. So it was interesting between these very avant-garde sort of people who were also tangentially connected to Hollywood and film and television. Right. And all that. Right. So and it's an interesting blend that's happening. Cause yeah, a lot of, and of, course a lot of it is, is folks who are trying to get TV and movie gigs who are doing theater because that's what they grew up doing or, or yeah. did in college, yeah. you know, who are sort of biding time as opposed to Seattle where it was, it was the advocate. Everybody was doing it cause they loved it and it was their hobby. Right. Not because they were looking to get somewhere else. It wasn't a stepping stone. Definitely. Are you familiar with theater of note? I have heard of theater of note. I'm not really familiar with it. That's where my friend started. Anyway, I was just curious because okay. you're traveling okay. in the same circles. You guys yeah, might have yes. bumped into it. Yes, exactly. But All right. So you go down there, you got your computer engineering, so you got a living. Thank God you can make some <laughs> yes, money. Exactly. But, some, but you're a creative guy too. I mean, theater is even, I acted as well, and it's, it's creative. It's different kind of creative, but still creative. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I know that the acting thing blends to character creation when you're writing your characters. I'm sure that that mindset comes in. But yeah. when did you start saying, I'm going to now transition over to fiction? Would you start with theater plays or did you start? No, no I didn't. I'd done, I'd done some playwriting as just schoolwork. Um, and then, and then just off and on here and there. Um, but no, I didn't really, I, I wanted to write what I grew up reading. I wanted to right. write, uh, you know, I started sort of writing a historical adventure type thing, like, yeah. like uh, Sharps, Rifles, you know, that sort of Cornwall genre. Um, and then realized it's like, well, that's a lot of work because there's a ton of research. You gotta learn some stuff, that. don't you? Yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll write something contemporary. That seems <laughs> a lot easier. Um, but I moved down here. I had to, I had the chance to take a few months off before I had to look for work, and I just right. went to the library and tried writing longhand every day to see if I enjoyed it. And longhand. Yeah, it was longhand. It was just just because that gave me time to think about what I was writing as I was writing it. You know. Okay. All right. sort of like forming that sentence structure because I wasn't really writing in order to have something to publish or to rewrite it. I mm -hmm. was literally writing scenes to figure out how to write That's you know, like, like exercises basically. Wow. So no expectations. No, no. Oh. And even, even later on That's taking classes, it was really more about, it wasn't about being published. It was like, can I write a book? Let me see if I can write a book. It's, it's Just that, that level of achievement. Uh, Oh, if only, if only I had started that way. <laughs> it was just all like, how am I going to do this and make it real? And it was, you know, it's all right. It worked out, but it was tough because that's a lot of pressure. I it's put a on. lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And lowering, you know, those, those lowered expectations, I think, were and kind of still are that thing that helps me take that next step Absolutely. of going, 
let me try this. If it doesn't work, so what? That's right. Your life doesn't hang in the balance. Right. Exactly. I haven't lost anything. I've learned, you know, I've learned the ways not to make a light bulb as the saying goes. Such right? a good attitude. People, listen to me. He's got the right attitude. I know most of you, I don't know if you're all feeling this way, but everything he says is the truth. If you can lower the expectations, take the pressure off, yeah. things can happen much write, easier. Write that chapter, right? Yeah. Make a good chapter, right? Then write the next chapter and just yeah. move on from there, right? All right. But you have been published. You did, not you. You haven't been published. Your work has. My wife makes me draw that distinction. <laughs> if you don't get published, you're here. The book's over there. So, I know my name's on it. That's a kind yeah, of Yeah, but you know... I'll tell you what, my books have me as a character in them and it's still not me getting published. <laughs> That's the hell, very true. So, so talk to me about that when you said, okay, all right, I can write a chapter. I can write what looks like a book. Uh, how did, when did you decide to go public with it and see if you could actually? I had been, I'd been in a, um, I'd taken some classes because that was the other thing that writing longhand taught me is that just like, yeah, this is really good. I need to go learn more about how to do this, right? right? I need to learn more about this. And so I, I took some classes through UCLA Extension and I, um, a mystery writing workshop through the Writer Studio and got into uh, a master class uh, with an established mystery writer. Um, Who's that? Uh, award-winning. Uh, it's Gerilyn Farmer. She writes a series. She hasn't written in a few years, but she had an award-winning series with a character named Madeline Bean, Madeline Bean who okay. is a, a caterer in L.A., Okay. So the caterer right. then gets to hobnob with the rich and famous and uh, big events and things like that. Right. Gets involved in mysteries. So Gerilyn had, had I don't know, seven or eight books out uh, along the way. Was And she taught the workshop and phenomenally good teacher. Just okay. really no nonsense. Like, here's the history of what you're doing. Here's your reader expectations. Here's what you can do. You know, she understand that genre. Yeah. Understand this craft. Of then you can genre. break rules, right? And, but understand where you're coming from because then you get to play with it. Right. Um, so the master class was basically three or four people come every week. You bring 10 pages. You read them out loud. Oh, it's intensive. You critique, yeah, you critique each other's work. And then you either recraft those 10 pages for next time or you move on, depending upon okay. what you want to do. All right. um, and it's up to you. And you know, over the course of some years in the, in the class, you get to know each other work really well yeah. and a rising tide raises all, boat and the, all, all boats and the level of writing in the class was really strong. Um, yeah. We've had, um, there are three published authors that have come out of that. Class. Wow. Um, <laughs> That's unusual for a class. There was, one, there was one in the class when I started and she had already had one book published. Okay. So the level was really high, uh, which is yeah. another advice I give is if you get into a writing group, Try to make sure the people are better than you are. <laughs> well, at least they're serious. Like they're going to act like they're actually doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's still at that time, my expectation was I want to write a book, not I want to be published. After about five years, I had something that I thought was a pretty good manuscript. And so that's when things went really unusual. Uh, and I say unusual in the sense of they went really great. It's <laughs> not everybody's story. Um, I took the manuscript to Thriller Fest in New York City, uh-huh. and they have, a, they have a section of Thriller Fest one afternoon that they dedicate to what they call Pitch Fest, which is speed yeah. dating agents, uh, right? We do the yeah. same thing here. Yeah, yep, yeah. you do the same thing at Pacific Northwest, yes. And so, um, and it's very handy. And, and I went to it not expecting to sell the book. I went to it to get practice pitching. 
I needed to understand what they were looking Again, for. Again, the low expectation. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's if I can learn, because I figured if I can learn what people want, I will learn whether or not, the, number one, if this is sellable, but beyond that is how do I present the work? Right. How do I, how do I do, right. how do I take that next step? Right. Well, things went much, much better. Um, it got a lot of interest. Um, I got an outstanding agent out of it. She's still, she's my agent now. You know, that was only seven years ago. So it, it seemed, it seems like longer, um, wow. with five books since then. Wow. Um, but, um, uh, and it, and it sold uh, later that year. Um, wow. it, it was, it did. It, Thriller Fest is like in August or July, right? July. Generally it's like right after, right after July 4th, generally. Yeah. 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 Wow. So just bing, bang, boom. Yes. Bing, bang, boom. And, you know, so I went from pitching a manuscript that was mostly finished. And by the way, I, I got enough interest in it that I had to rush home and spend three weeks working like a different <laughs> Wow. To finish it along the way and get it, get it ready. Because more people asked for the full thing than I expected. Wow. And I had written the full, I'd written the whole thing, but I also knew it needed to polish run. Sure, sure. And so, and so, um, uh, and they were very understanding. They're like, I said, okay, great. It's just about finished. Give me a couple of weeks. I'll send it to you. And they were like, okay, no problem. And, um, did and your that, agent work on it with you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had, um, uh, we didn't work on it a lot because it was, it was pretty much ready to show. But yeah. then once my editor bought it, we worked through quite a bit for that day. And you, you and the editor yeah. did, or you and the agent? Yeah, it went, it went from, I think when I turned it in, I think when I turned it in, it was like 102,000 words and what was finally published was like 93. Yeah. You know, yeah so we excised yeah. a lot of stuff to get it to run leaner and meaner. Basically. You feel like, so this is five books in, this is A Dangerous Breed is book number five. Very skillfully done, by the way. Very engaging. It's your first work I've, of yours I've read. Very engaging. Um, uh a lot of stuff you did that, you, that was very subtle. I can't get into it, but I felt you handled really deftly. So well done. Thank you. Um, but do you feel like, you, I mean, this is a fast learning curve. You published your first book. That's only seven years ago. Now you're five books in. And just getting to work with a professional editor who you probably learn a lot just from that experience. Oh, yes, absolutely. Right? Uh, you've got to feel like, you, like the, the, what you hand them now is a more crafted product than what you your first version that you handed them i, I certainly hope so <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, it's true you never know yeah, if you keep yeah, trying to branch you, out but. you hope you hope each book is getting a little better and you're not repeating mistakes or anything like that that you right. make along the way but yes there's there's i mean there's there's things that you'll just tend to do as a writer good or bad that are just who you are that's your voice that's right, what you, right. You know, my, my plots my plots tend to get a little complex Hopefully they're always understandable to the reader and we, we work hard to make them understandable to the reader and to always have that driving momentum into the next chapter. Yeah. Um, that's, that's what my, you know, my voice, my brand, whatever you want to call it, just naturally is. What the, one of the many things that a really good editor can do is make sure I'm seeing the forest for the trees and say, have you, have you, have you noticed that this, story peaks twice it peaks here and it peaks right here. right right and then the denouement is maybe a little long right along the way and you can go oh right okay right. let me let me think about that and whether or not that's the right thing i'm gonna drive you crazy that you didn't notice that 
Yeah, exactly. you know, right where they tell you they like could have gotten that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and some of it is that you know, hopefully, I'm as I say, they won't have to tell me that again for the next book. Well, you hope, right? But there'll be something else, you yeah. know, something else that needs adjusting along the way, and that's you know, that's that's what a a, a brilliant editor and and Lisa Kershit, the an executive editor at William Morrow, is a brilliant editor. That's she works with some names much more famous than I. Right. Um, and she's really good at getting to the heart of not just what will make the book better or more saleable, but what will make the book more resonant or more resonant with who my readers are. That's great. Boy, how nice how what a what a nice comfort knowing it has to pass through her first. Yes. She can and, you know, because she knows that because here's the thing. She probably knows that genre better than you. Oh yes, absolutely. Even and, though, and maybe and better than most of her writers, no matter. And who I'll say, writer. you know, to to uh, to give plenty of credit where it's due. My agent does that as well. You know, my agent is a is a pretty strong gatekeeper, and she'll go. I'm not sure this part works as well yeah. as you you hope. Let's let's talk about that, right? And I'll and I'll usually talk about the details with my editor, but oftentimes it's my agent who will kind of point to something and go. Right think about that, right? They both know their business really, really, really well. Yeah. And so I, hopefully I'm smart enough to, to shut up and listen. <laughs> well, it's good. And I, I found, because I write in creative nonfiction, narrative nonfiction, personal nonfiction usually. And, and so I've, that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I wrote fiction before that, but that's really what I'm doing. That's really where I'm most comfortable. And what I've learned about craft, such as it is, is I think a lot of it, is what I've learned not to do. Does that make sense? Like all yeah. the things I don't even think to do anymore that, that speed the process up, that have yes. taught me just stay within this comfort zone here, this one pocket. But it took a long time to, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, this doesn't work. Does that make sense? Yes, yes it is. Um, I'll, add a, I'll add a note to that too, is that I, I know the work's going well generally when I'm in that comfort zone but I'm also scared because I'm trying just a little bit extra. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pushing. Playing with, I'm playing with structure or I'm trying to do a twist that's a little unusual or I'm trying something else or I'm introducing characters that are odd. Um, whatever it happens to be, you know, changing up the tense, um, whatever it is. If I'm writing a little scared, that's usually a good sign. Yes. Yeah, because you want to push it. You want yeah. to, to... I run through this thing in this book for my most recent book where... There was this one chapter, I loved the chapter, but I, my nose would run whenever I wrote it. <laughs> it was running so bad one day, I just had to stop writing, I said, and as soon as I did, the nose dried up and then I came back. It's true. So my body reacts sometimes if I'm really a little nervous about, if I'm pushing the content a little bit, it's true. You're literally allergic to do <laughs> Well, I don't like to say allergic. I like to say emotional, maybe. Emotional. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. I get it. But you do want to, but you, but I also thought that was a good thing at the same time because I knew I was, I was onto something that it's was provoking a reaction. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. For me, yeah. that meant I was onto something new because it's easy for me to psych, you know, because you can do it too. I know genre writers, they, they run the risk of you get good at something, you can kind of start imitating it. And I certainly can do that. I write inspirational stuff, but I can start sounding like myself. And it's like, well, I know what inspirational Bill sounds like. I'll just start imitating it. <laughs> but I don't want to do that. And I'm sure that you know, even though your plots change, you can fall into a familiar rhythm that is just an imitation as opposed to something authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. You end up imitating yourself and, and uh, that's, that's never, it's never a great place to be. Um, 
it's uh, it, it does it does inspire me to try try to read new authors, you know, read authors I haven't read before, see what see what you pick up along yeah. the way, and, and hopefully that subconsciously that's working its way into new stuff for you too. So I know the way writers like your, uh, writers who produce at the rate you do are working. You know, we're talking about a dangerous breed, uh, but I know another book is in the hopper or maybe yep. done by by now. I don't know. It's, uh, uh, it's due in a couple months. So. Okay. So you're probably close to being. Yes. How many drafts are you? Two, three, one? What's your I, deal? I, ideally, ideally three drafts. Okay. Um, maybe even four, but um, I write pretty clean from the get go. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. I, I don't, I don't write like, I don't word spew and then go back and edit. Right. Right. I kind of edit as I go. And it's a, it's a, it's not a slow pace. It's about a page an hour. But usually what I produce is usable, right? right. Okay. may not be fully fleshed out, may not be everything I need, but it's okay. It's usable. It's a place to start. Yeah. You know, to, to, to use Anne Lamott's phrase, it's the, it's the, I'll paraphrase, it's the crappy first draft. Right. right? So, yeah. yeah, but it doesn't sound like it's as crappy. And I've kind of learned, I used to kind of do a bit more like, I just plow ahead. But I've learned, like, if you know you're going the wrong direction, just don't even do it. Yeah, don't, don't yeah, even no, bother. Just yeah. wait for the right direction. I don't let myself slow the momentum too much, but I will let myself edit or do word choices and stuff as I go. And then it's and then the act of rewriting isn't so heavy. Um, so I'll do that. I'll do that version, and I'll usually get most of the way through the book, not all the way. Okay. So because sometimes I'm I'm making decisions as I go that are going to change stuff that came before. Right. If that makes sense. Right. They're like, oh, I like this better. Yeah. That means I have to change that plot point back in chapter four or whatever. That, does it drive you just a little bit crazy when that happens? Is sometimes. It... Sometimes. I don't write completely organically. I usually have an idea of where I'm headed. Right. Um, the milestones I need to get to. Ah. And what I'm finding on this book is I'm, I'm outlining as I go. Like as I'm writing stuff, I'm noting down, here's what happened. Here's the logical thing. That just so you can go back and look at it kind of as you go, just to have a sense of it as you're. Yes. But also so that I can make, because, because I make those choices and say, I'm, let's say I've written 10 chapters right. and I've made these choices for these characters. And each of those choices for those characters is going to naturally lead to right. something else that that character is going to do later. Well, I'll write that down on a post-it and I'll just stick it on my wall of crazy. Yeah. And this character should do this later. Yeah. Right. Right. And so the outline for what I'm going to write is building itself out as I'm producing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. See, so, it's interesting. I was sitting here trying to figure out, because I have a parlor trick I do where I can meet an author and tell you in two or three minutes if you're an outliner or not. Okay. And I had you peg for the half outliner. Yes. The, I and got the, the basic stuff. Not a complete pantser, but no. not a... No. Uh, yeah. Half outliner is, is, is pretty darn close. Yeah. yeah. So I will... And so what I'll do is when I'm, I've gotten like three quarters of the way through the book, I've produced enough. I'm like, okay, I now know what happens at the end of this book. Right. right? So what I'll often do is say, all right, leave that, go back, rework it from the start. Right. Use that momentum to drive my way through the last part of the book. Right. right? Now you, you have a real destination. Scenes and stuff like that. Right. right. And the denouement. Because right. then... I know exactly what has to happen in those final scenes, denouement, and, and it's very easy to, to write those. And you know what you have to, you, then you start knowing what has to be in there for it to be set up. And exactly. And not a part of it. Because you've got to know, I always tell my students who are trying to write things, it's like, 
I've got this one client I'm working with, which is you've got to finish something. You, if, until yeah. you know how something ends, you don't know what it is. And that includes <laughs> little 400 word pieces that I write. Like when I end it, that's when I know what it's about. And so you've got to know what the ending is before you know what it is. Until, you won't yeah, know what it is. Thematically until you know. too. And we can come back to that. But that, so that's the second draft is that rewrite. And then that's the, the third, second draft. Okay. And then the third draft is I read the entire thing out loud, just like I was in the master. Oh, my. All right. I will read the entire thing out loud. Um, depending to on someone? The, or just nope, to yourself? Just to myself. Okay. Just to myself. But I got to be strict about it. I got to be reading it out loud and paying attention. Yep. On a good day, I can do about 50 pages a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a long day. Yeah. Doing 50 pages. And I will be making notes as I go because right. I'll be saying, you know, I used the word, use the word door seven yes, times. Yes. Right. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing you catch by reading out loud. It's kind of like, well, yeah. the rhythm, you know, like all of these sentences are the same length. Yeah. You, know, you get, you get that rhythm if you read it out loud. You also get to feel if the dialogues is too similar. Between the between the characters, right? Yeah, right? And, yeah. and how characters talk because yeah. are all these characters the same level of verbose? Right, you right. Know? Are they you know what are, do they all sound do they all have the same rhythm? So that that helps, and that's usually the third draft is I read it out loud, change things, polish it, etc. Um, and then if there's time for another run through, I'll do it, but there usually isn't. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That's well, that sounds pretty good. So it yeah. sounds like really it's two real hard drafts and then a yes. polish draft. and then a polish run and then of course rewrites that come in from the editor later because there's always those two. Right, but that's sep that's a separate that's a issue. Thing. Right. Well, all right. So, Glenn, uh, is, you're an interesting guy. Uh, I, I, rec look, I I've just been introduced to your work. I recommend it to y'all who like crime and even those who don't. Give it a try. It's good stuff. <laughs> and uh, I suspect your stuff's going to just get better and better because you seem like a guy who likes to learn and uh, that's the fun of it. So that's fantastic. But I'm not quite through with you. First of all, uh, if people want to learn about you, uh, discover you, what's the best place for them to go? All right. So um, uh, easy to find. It's just my name, uh, Glenn Eric Hamilton, Glenn with one N, Eric with a K, uh, .com. So that's yeah. my website. There is a, um, there's a blog, which is occasionally, I, I, I've gotten better about using. I saw that, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, on the blog right now, um, because I was inspired by what was going on with Seattle and the early days of the pandemic, yeah. um, back in March, I wrote a short story, uh, which is there for free on the website. Uh, nice. Advanced short story. So that's a, that's a prize for your listeners. Like, Excellent. Get, out there, get, a, get a free short story right there. Um, so it's called essential business and it's uh, what van is doing during quarantine essentially. I, you know what? I, I thought of that as I was looking at that piece. I thought, when's the first pandemic novel coming? Cause I don't think anyone's had time to write one, but that's gotta be coming soon. No, right? And I gotta wonder if there's going to be any appetite. Are we, or do we yeah. want to read a pandemic novel? I don't know. That's right. All right. <laughs> so, so, all right, go then Glenn and Eric yep. Hamilton.com. Yep. And, uh, and I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, easy to find there. And I'll put in one plug. Yeah. Um, not just for me, but for any authors that you like, um, for readers out there, leave reviews because they're on Goodreads, Amazon, anywhere else. Yeah. Um, reviews not only are, are a note to other readers and to the author, but they're a note to the publisher too. They really kind of identify to the publisher that there's an audience out there. That's the right. More, much, more, much more seen than I think people know. That's right. People, you hear that? Don't be shy. Your yes. voice matters. Just a couple just sentences. Throw just, it out there. 
Just do it. It's a good exp- – thank you. That was a good, it's a good endorsement. I'm going to remember that because I got one coming out next year, and I got to get people to step up. Yes. All right. But now my final question is, I want you to finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? If writing has taught me anything, it's the fact that the, is that if there is no finish line, you get to relax, which is that if you are constantly learning, right? If there's, if, if you're, if you're never going to reach perfection, let that free you. Enjoy being a student. My favorite teacher in the world, she says, you never get it right. You never get it done. Just (laughs) figure it out. That is excellent. Thank you, uh, Glenn. That was wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you, Bill. So good to talk to you.